We've been working through chapter 5 of John, right? And, and Jesus is he's, it's his coming out. He's really starting to reveal to the people that he's speaking to who he is, where his authority comes from, how is he doing the things that he is doing. And he wants, you know, Jesus, it's, it's interesting because he really, he cares what people think, what people think about him. And then there's, he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He cares in the, in the context of, listen, if people can come to the understanding of who he is, who sent him, they will have eternal life. They will have this renewed, vibrant relationship with God if these people can get a grasp on who Jesus is. And then there's the other side of it. He's like, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't believe who I am. It doesn't change the, what my, the message I will give. It's not going to change the things that I'm going to do. He, he doesn't care if people don't believe. But yet he cares that people believe because he knows they would have life. But those people that don't, he says, shame on you. You're going to miss what God wants to do in your life and around your life. So let's go. John chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 31. Oh, we have a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> I want to read. Here we go. John five thirty one. If I testify about myself, these are the words of Jesus. Why? Because they're in red. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus begins this section by pointing out the fact that it's, there's this impossibility of anyone being accepted upon what they say about themselves, about their own word. The credibility comes from two or three witnesses that would speak about a person. Now, this isn't something new to us. We, we go through this. Uh, we live this in our society, in our culture. I mean, if I walked into a room and I just said to you all, I'm the, I am the humblest, most spirit-led person you will ever meet after Jesus. Well, some of you would be just like, Psh, yeah, whatever. But then when this side of the room started telling you this side of the room, that is definitely true. He is the most humble, most spirit-led person. Then there's some credibility to the things that I am saying. Right? You would say that for me? And you would all believe that. Yes. So, so then I, I begin to build credibility. And think about it. When, when you go and you, you fill out a job application, they want references. They don't care if you say I'm the best worker there is. They want people that are going to say, which is kind of a joke because are you going to give a bad reference to somebody? Oh, he's a jerk. Don't hire him. No, you're going to give But anyway, that's, I digress. But, but there's so, so we, we subscribe to this idea where we need references. We need recommendations from people. So Jesus isn't, isn't dealing out anything new for these people to hear. He's just saying, listen, if, if, um, if there is, if, if I'm just saying the things that I'm saying about me, then pff, Whatever. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't listen to me anyway. Well, you should because he's God. But Jesus is meeting these people within their cultural context to say, if, 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 if all I have is what I say, then what I say is really nothing. Because in Deuteronomy, the law would say the credibility of anything comes upon the heels of two or three witnesses. And Jesus says, listen, if all I got is what I'm saying, don't take me seriously. You don't have to. But see, Jesus has something very different in his corner. He will have the testimony of God. Verse 32. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Now, he doesn't name who it is, but we can all kind of guess that he's talking about God. And his mission and his purpose will all flow from the relationship that Jesus has with God. 
It doesn't just matter what Jesus thinks about himself. He is banking on what God says about him. The things that God says about Jesus. It will be his witness. It doesn't matter if people reject him. It doesn't matter if people reject his testimony. In fact, people will be just people will think what he's saying is completely off the hook and it's just garbage. And they just they won't care. But for Jesus, he knows. He knows who he is in God. He knows what God says about him. And he will say that God's testimony about me is true. And Jesus will accept God's testimony. See, what it means is Jesus knows who he is in God. Jesus knows his identity of who he is. And he accepts it to be true. And in fact, this understanding and this belief in the identity of who he is, this will lead him and strengthen him so that he can make that walk to the cross and die for all of us. Because he believes what God says about him is true. Now, for us followers of Jesus, because of what he has done, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, we too have an identity of who we are in God's eyes. We too have something that God has spoken over us. And the answer to that the the, the answer to that question of who we are is of the utmost importance. How you believe who you believe you are in the eyes of God is very very important because you cannot be anything else than what you believe yourself to be. You kind of understand that? Let me say it again. You cannot be, you cannot live in any other way than what you believe yourself to be. And so the answer to the question of who you are in God, what does God speak over you? What is your identity is very very important because it will motivate you It will um, lead you in the way that you live your life, in the way that you serve, in the way that you love, in the way that you play, in the way that you rest. And so, who are you in Christ? What is your identity? What are the things that God speaks over you? Jesus knew who he was. He says, I have the witness of the Father and his witness, his testimony is true. Well, because of Christ, we too have a witness of the Father. And his testimony is true. So who are you? Ephesians chapter 1 will tell us that you have been chosen by God and adopted as his sons and daughters. You didn't come by chance. God hasn't begrudgingly allowed you to come into his presence. No one here is the red-headed stepchild, which I really don't know what it means, but, you know, it means something bad. And, and so, no one here is the red-headed stepchild. You have been chosen by God. You, what's it mean? Oh, Owen's redhead. <laughs> don't worry, man. My, my wife is a redhead, too, so don't worry about it. She's not here. You have been chosen by God, not by chance. I need to give him a hug now. He thinks he's a stepchild. <laughs> you look like your family. <laughs> That's so wrong. You owe him lunch, man. <laughs> All right. Come on. Work with me now. Colossians chapter 1. You have been redeemed 
forgiven in Christ. Listen, your old life, the life that you turned from, the life that you have repented from, you have been redeemed from that. You have been set free from that. The penalty of the way you used to live outside of the harmony of God is no longer on you. You have been set free from it. This is who you are in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, you are complete because of Jesus. The sum total of who God is, is in you because of what Christ did and you following Christ. The wisdom of God is yours. The grace of God is yours. The peace of God is yours. The love of God is yours. The strength of God, the power of God, the anointing of God is yours. You are complete in Christ. John 15 says this. Uh, fifteen sixteen. Not only have you been chosen by God, but you have been chosen for a purpose. Your life has a purpose. And I love the verse. Jesus is like, uh-uh-uh, you did not choose me. Mm-mm. And I think he went like that. He said, uh-uh, I have chosen you. And I have chosen you for a purpose that your life would bear fruits, that something would come from your life. And it's something that will last. It will not go away. It will not fade. Our lives, because we have chosen to follow Jesus or Jesus has chosen for us to follow him, have purpose and meaning that we would bear fruit in this world, that we would leave something that would not perish, that would not, that would last. Our footprint would be huge because it is from the divine. Ephesians chapter 2, you are God's masterpiece. You know what? God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make garbage. God has never made a mistake. But all too often we look at ourselves as the junk and the garbage and the mistake. And we fail to see who we are. Or we fail to see how God sees us. He sees you as his masterpiece. God makes amazing things. God makes beautiful things. God makes good things. And in Christ, this is who you are. Ephesians chapter 3. You can approach God with freedom and confidence. Another word for um, a translation for the word freedom in the Greek would be um, you can approach God in boldness. And that word has a meaning of to, to, to speak freely to God. Okay, so, so let's think about this for a minute. The creator of all things, okay? Everything that and, and things that we can't see, he's created. He's created everything. If you want a good class to figure it out, go talk to Monday nights with Mark Marzieski. He gets into the science of the creation of what God has created. God creates everything. We can freely and boldly come to him in joy. We can boldly go to him with questions, with wrestlings. We can go to him in our frustration. We can go to him even in our anger. I got my start in ministry, yelling at God in my car, pounding on the roof of my, on the roof of my car, yelling at him. I was ticked. But yet we can come boldly before God because of who Christ is. And these are just a few things. These are just the beginning of our identity in Christ. Jesus knew his relationship.
to God. He knew what it meant, and he did not let anyone or anything pull him away from that. He did not allow the voice of the critic to cause him doubt. He did not allow the voice of the enemy to make him doubt who he was. There's a story in Matthew where Jesus gets baptized and um, it says he comes out of the water and this voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son. I love him. It's in him that I'm very pleased. And then Jesus is led out into the, to the desert for a, for a time of 40 days of fasting and then, this, then the, the Satan will come to him and he's going to tempt him. And Matthew records it. The first two temptations begin with If you are the son of God, then do this. If you are the son of God, the enemy wants Jesus to begin to doubt the very words that God spoke over him. But Jesus will not fall for it. Do you believe who you are in Christ? Do you believe your identity? Do you believe that God speaks those very words over each one of you? You're my boy. You're my girl. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Do you really believe that God speaks those things over you? You cannot live a life anything else than what you believe yourself to be. Do you believe who you are in Christ? You know, and I was, I was mulling this over and I call it marinating this whole idea for a while. And, and, and I was just kind of thinking about, you know, our identity and, and um, you know, who we are and what does that really mean? And, and I began to think, for us Christian folk, we want to walk in the spirit, right? We want, we want to have, we want to, you know, have that idea of, you know, walking in the spirit, whatever that means, you know, in Christianese. I'm not really sure sometimes, but we want to have power. We want to have, we want to have the mark of God on our life. We want to have discernment. We want to be able to like, like do God's stuff and God-sized things, right? And, and so we get caught up, I think, in this thing of trying to earn our holiness, trying to earn our identity, and so, you know, like, okay, so you, something's coming up and you want to do something. And what do we do? We, we pray. Prayer is very important. I'm not going to knock prayer here. But prayer sometimes becomes our way of trying to earn God's favor. And then, okay, then if it's a really big thing, prayer is not enough. We have to fast. Because somehow fasting will supersize our prayer. It will get God's attention. And then we will, we will have We'll have more of an identity in who we are because we've fasted and then we've prayed. And it's like we, we try to supersize, we try to earn this identity that we have. Or, or sometimes, you know, we, we go to the scriptures because we have to and we should. We know we should. We should be reading our Bible. And so we should all over ourselves. And so we try to, we try to read the Bible to gain God's favor. And in that, we try to earn this this anointing. We try to earn to walk in power. We try to earn to walk into the spirit. But I wonder if we really put the cart before the horse. Maybe maybe to walk in spiritual power, to walk in anointing, we first need to believe who we are in Christ. We have to believe those words that God speaks over us. We have to believe our identity. 
And embracing that identity is when strength and power and anointing comes. We cannot live any different than who we believe we are. And so who do you believe you are? Do you believe that God loves you? That he's pleased with you? That you're his son? That you're his daughter? Man, if we can get a hold of that, and then prayer flows from the identity of who we are. And then fasting flows from the identity of who we are. And then the spiritual disciplines flow from who we already are in Christ. Instead of trying to earn something that we already have. Because of Jesus. Spiritual disciplines will not supersize your identity in Christ. Who Believing who you are will supersize the spiritual disciplines you practice. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his true identity. He knew what God said about him. And his life was marked with authority and power and miracles. Maybe we don't see enough of miracles these days because we have followers of Jesus just not believing what God says about us. John 33. You have sent you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So the topic of John comes up again, and Jesus is like, listen, John was here, and, and he, he, gave, he was a lamp, and he, and he shared the light. And it's a good thing that he did, because many of you have come to an understanding of who I am because of his testimony. But John wasn't really the light. He was just the lamp that, that gave away the light. And so John is just the guy that just kind of brings, um, lets the light shine into the world. Verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the wor- God bless you. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. The stuff Jesus is doing, the authority that he is walking in, the power that's being demonstrated, are proof that he is who he says he is. Are proof that he was sent by the one he said that he was sent by, by God. It is the very witness of God in his life. Listen, the proof is in the pudding. Jesus' life is characterized by power and authority. And he says, it's the Father who has given me this power and this authority. And this is what I walk in. And these are the things that I'm doing because of it. And so as we begin to embrace our own identity, if we begin to embrace the way that God sees us, our lives will be marked with that same power and that same authority. Jesus knew he was not of human origin. And Jesus knew that his identity was not uh, marked by a humanness. And now through him, we followers of Jesus, our identity is no more Uh, steeped in a human origin. Our identity comes from the divine. And your life, our lives, can be marked, can move and look like Jesus. And I believe it begins with recognizing who we really are. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. 
nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one who sent me. Jesus has the witness of God. He knows who he is, and he is not troubled in any way, shape, or form by anybody's opposition. He never tried to please people. He didn't try to feed people a bunch of air candy, ear, can, ear, this one, candy, try to tell them what they wanted to hear. He never looked to win people's approval. He never tried to build a following. In fact, there's a story in, a, in Matthew, or no, I'm sorry, in John, where, where Jesus is dealing, handing out this really tough teaching, right? And he's, and he's talking about, man, you got to eat my flesh and you got to like drink my blood. And people are just like, huh? And, and, and I think it says, you know, people are like, who can, who can hear this? Who can do this teaching? Who can, who can live this? And I think, I think in the Greek translation, it's like, this guy is whacked. And it says, people, they just leave him. And he gives this teaching, and people are like, yeah, uh-uh, not for me. And, and, and people just go. And he looks at his, his closest disciples and says, yeah, you guys leaving too? And so it was really difficult. Jesus, Jesus was really good at growing his church smaller. Because he did not care. He did not look for the approval of what anybody would say because he knew who he was in God. And that was enough for him. Jesus would anticipate people would not accept his message, would not accept who he is, and it never once stopped him. It never once deterred him. He spoke what God wanted him to speak he did what God wanted him to do. Verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now I'll tell you, this is a very damaging, damaging uh, statement by jesus i think it i think it was a slap in the face to the people that he spoke it to and it was a slap in the face for the for us in the church today the people of jesus day spent a lot of time studying the scriptures now we're talking about old testament here because the new testament wasn't quite written yet you all following that you know jesus didn't have the gospels okay so good um so so we're talking about those when you were when you were learning to read you learned to read the torah when you were seven, six, seven years old, by the time you were that age, maybe eight, you could memorize or you would be able to have memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. You would have them committed to memory. And so the study of Torah was very, very important for the first century Jew. This was the, the most important thing that they would have to do in their life beyond anything else. And there was this um, one rabbi, he would write that, the, the more study of the law, the more life. If he has gained for himself the words of the law, he has gained life in the world to come. And there was this profound, even extreme reverence for every word and for every letter of the law. It was so, it was so extreme that as the scribes would copy um, these texts, they would have the text that they would, they would copy from, and they would begin to copy and they would look and they would write one letter. And they would look back at the text and then they would write the next letter. You didn't copy words. You didn't copy statements. You looked and each individual letter was copied one at a time. There was this extreme 
reverence for the sacredness of even the very letter of every single word. But there was a failure to understand. There was a failure to grapple with what these words actually said. What these things actually meant. It's not like there's a lot of verses in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus. Every word, every book, every statement, all the historical stuff, all of the poetry, all of the Psalms, all of the prayers, they all point to Jesus. And he says, man, you know, you guys, you you spend so much time studying that stuff, but you are missing it. You are not understanding. You You are missing the point entirely. And it's this strong rebuke for the wrong attitude towards the scriptures. But yet Jesus has this profound respect for the sacredness of what they are. Jesus continues to challenge the rules. He continues to challenge cultural norms. He continues to to push people's buttons. And in here, it's almost like he's overriding what Torah would have to say. Almost like he's overriding God's teachings or God's laws. With this one statement, he will offend the people that put their trust and their faith in religion and rules instead of putting their trust and their faith into him. And it's really hard for them to understand it. And you know what? I believe it's really hard for us Christians today to understand that. Jesus is saying, you don't get life from following any rules. You don't get life from being moral. You don't get life from having good ethics. But the danger is we can stand outside of the rule book and say, hey, Everything is open. I can do anything I want. God will forgive me. Uh Uh-uh, no, we talked about that. Don't go there. Because you see, if you are not focusing on the rules or this morality or ethics, you need to have Jesus as your guiding principle in your life. And when you can get a hold of that in your life, Jesus, that's the focus, that's the main thing, everything changes. The way you live your life begins to change. We need to transcend religion and rules and morality with Jesus. He has to be first. Our life has to begin to imitate his life. He had a tremendous love of Torah. He had a tremendous love of the Psalms. But Jesus says, man, there is a new way to live those things. There is a new way to engage those things. His life demonstrated this radical shift from the way the the law was lived and the way it was to be lived today. His life shows us that we live by principle and not by the letter of the law. The people Jesus was speaking to, they loved The Bible, they loved it. It's not like they were a bunch of jerks. They loved the word of God. They did everything they possibly could, everything they possibly could to make sure that the rules were always followed. In fact, they made rules about the rules so the rules would be followed. They were very careful. And Jesus says, no, you're 
you're, you're, missing, you're missing the point. It's not about the letter of the law. You know, following the letter of the law is a very dangerous thing. Hundreds of years ago in our country, the letter of the law was followed. And then we had these women who had this, they were given this name. They were called witches and we burned them at the stake. Following the letter of the law had uh, created a group of people and they went out on these crusades so that they would, they would bring people, they would evangelize people to God, to Jesus. Oh, and they said, oh, you don't want to follow Jesus? Oh, we're just going to kill you. The letter of the law is dangerous. Jesus says, I have come not to abolish it, though. I have come not to destroy it. I have come to fulfill it. I have come to show you how to live it in the everyday, in the common experiences of life. Jesus calls us not to use the scriptures as a rule book. Jesus calls us to use them as a way to understand who God is. Jesus calls us to use the scriptures to understand God's heart and understand the love of God all expressed through Jesus. This is, this is really just words on a page. I've had conversations with um, men and women who are atheists, and um, many of them um, very, very intelligent men and women. And what's scary is they know the Bible better than many Christians do because they know what they don't believe. They know why they don't believe it. And for them, this, this book, they, they, can, they can quote chapter and verse. It means it's, it's just nothing to them. These are just words on a page unless, unless this can penetrate your very soul, your very heart, and lead you to understand who Jesus is. That's where the power of the scriptures are. And when we begin to recognize that in our own lives, we will begin to recognize who we are in God's eyes. You cannot live or be anything else than what you believe yourself to be. What do you believe yourself to be? Garbage? A mistake? Junk? Or do you believe that God speaks the words of, you're my boy, you're my girl, I love you. I am pleased with you. If we can start to believe that and start to walk in that, what will happen is you will, your life will be marked by power and authority and grace and love and peace. You will be given life and you will be able to give your life away. What do you believe? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for um, the grace to come to the throne I want to thank you for forgiveness. I want to thank you that um, you speak those amazing words over each of us. But God, there's an enemy that wants us not to believe it. 
And, and I want, Lord, I want us to take a stand today that we are not going to believe the lies that are whispered in our head. That we are going to believe the very truths that are spoken about us by the creator of all things. That we can join Jesus walking in power and authority in this world. That our lives would be marked by the divine. And so God, work in each one of our hearts as we wrestle with these things. Reveal to us every moment of every day who we are because of Jesus. God, I pray that you would love us in ways that, that, that speak right to our very heart and soul. Amen. Amen.